Good morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Tuesday, April the 19th, and here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. Terrorist group Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for a mortar attack on Somalia's parliament. Somalia's Office of Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble condemned the assault, which it called a terrorist attack. That is Ahmed Mohamed reporting from Mogadishu. The South African army says that it is deploying 10,000 troops to help restore power, water and supplies to areas affected by severe flooding. The more water that's falling, the, the heavier the ground becomes, which causes more mud floods, which makes it a lot more dangerous for us. And religious leaders in Uganda celebrate this year's Easter with a call to the government to step up the fight against corruption and rising commodity prices. We have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. And for our top story, the terrorist group Al-Shabaab has claimed responsibility for a mortar attack on Somalia's parliament Monday that injured at least six people during a joint session. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu. Somalia's newly elected members of parliament were meeting Monday to approve procedures for the election of his speakers when the grounds were hit by a motor shell attack. In a Facebook post, lawmaker and presidential candidate Abdurrahman Abdishakur Wasame said several rounds were fired and several people wounded, including two of his bodyguards. Somali militant group Ashabab in media posts claimed the responsibility for the attack. Somalia's Office of Prime Minister Mohamed Hussein Roble condemned the assault, which it called a terrorist attack. In posts on social media, it said the attacks were cowardly attempts to intimidate parliament, which is in the process of finishing Somalia's indirect election. Roble commended the efforts of lawmakers to expedite elections. Before the attack Monday, lawmakers unanimously agreed to elect the Speaker of the Upper House on April 26th and the Speaker of the Lower House a day later. Somalia's indirect elections were delayed for several months because of political wrangling between the Prime Minister and President Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed, known as Farmaju. Farmajo had sought to extend his term in office, but packed off under intense domestic and international pressure. Ashabab has taken advantage of the political instability to launch a series of deadly attacks on Somali security forces and politicians. Somali's lawmakers are expected to vote for the next president as early as May. Ahmed Mohammed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. A joint military force from Nigeria, Niger, and Cameroon says that it has killed more than 100 Islamist insurgents, including 10 commanders, in the past few weeks as it intensified a ground and air offensive in the Lake Chad region. Boko Haram fighters and its splinter group, Islamic State West Africa Province, or ISWAP, have for more than a decade battled the Nigerian army in a conflict that has sucked in neighboring states. 
Nigeria's military received a boost after the United States last week approved a nearly $1 billion weapon sale. U.S. lawmakers had put a hold on the deal over concerns about possible human rights abuses by the Nigerian government. The Archbishop of Canterbury has condemned the plan by the British government to send tens of thousands of asylum seekers to Rwanda, saying that the policy did not stand the judgment of God. Delivering a sermon on Easter Sunday at Canterbury Cathedral, Justin Welby said the strategy announced last week by British Prime Minister Boris Johnson posed, quote, serious ethical questions. The new policy says that anyone who arrived in Britain illegally since January the 1st could be relocated to Rwanda. The South African Army says that it is deploying 10,000 troops to areas affected by record floods to help restore power and water and support recovery missions. The death toll from the floods in the country's eastern provinces has risen to more than 440. The return of rains over the weekend complicated rescue efforts and contributed to the death of at least one responder. Linda Giftash reports from Durban in South Africa. Officials say 14 search and rescue teams have been dispatched from Durban's Virginia airport to recover victims of last week's deadly floods. Durban is in the hard-hit province of KwaZulu-Natal. Travis Trower is director for the volunteer organization Rescue South Africa and has been assisting with recoveries. Trower spoke to VOA by phone about the danger involved and the death of one rescuer, Busasiwe Mijwara, who along with her dog Leah drowned Sunday while searching the Msuduzi River. The more water that's falling, the, the heavier the ground becomes, which causes more mudslides, which makes it a lot more dangerous for us. To lose somebody that is part of the team is a massive impact on everybody. And we, we all close to the member and to, to know that that has happened is uh, definitely sets everyone back and changes the, the tone of the rescues. Trower, who is also an emergency medical care lecturer at Nelson Mandela University, said despite the weather conditions, rescuers managed to recover six bodies Sunday. At least 443 people were confirmed dead by provincial officials. Dozens of people remain missing. In the Riverside community of Marion Hill in West Durban, the arrival of search and rescue teams Friday brought momentary relief to families of missing loved ones. Sinanklakla Manela said his 26-year-old sister and her two children were swept into the river in a landslide. Manela says local police have been overwhelmed by calls, but he hopes the arrival of a canine unit will help. No one wants to help us. Even police, they don't want to help We see dogs, maybe they will, they will try to help us. Further downstream, Pilisile Nene was among dozens of people searching the riverbanks for their neighbor's missing son. She says without a body, the family is denied a proper funeral. Give us some peace when we know where we bury the body. His mother is crying now and again all day. It's bad, bad. Trower, one of the rescuers, calls the devastation vast and says it's impossible for authorities to be fully prepared for a disaster of this scale. Trower says he has seen the heartbreak in communities and rescuers are doing their best with the resources they have while keeping safety in mind. Uh, we really need to do things slowly, and um, hopefully in time we'll be able to bring everyone back and um, give these families closure. But I think at the moment it's just patience. You know, it's a very difficult time, 
and the guys will work. They will work until the job is done. People across the country are coming together to donate funds and resources to the KwaZulu-Natal province. President Cyril Ramaphosa has also cancelled plans to go to Saudi Arabia Tuesday so he can focus on the recovery. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Durban, South Africa. Debrick Africa continues and let's go to East Africa where religious leaders in Uganda celebrated this year's Easter with a call to the government to beef up the fight against corruption and rising commodity prices. Reporter Mugume Davis Rgwakarinji has more from Kampala, Uganda. The head of Anglican Church of Uganda, Archbishop Kazimba Mugalu, read his appeal on behalf of the Uganda Joint Christian Council, an organization which brings together Christian denominations in the country. Archbishop Mugalu said the government should punish those involved in corrupt practices which deprive citizens of basic services. Corruption is an evil that is condemned by God and in all the scriptures. Perpetrators who plunder public funds and resources for their personal benefit should be brought to book. The 2021 Corruption Index, issued by Transparency International, ranks Uganda 144 out of 180 countries. The lower the rank, the more a government has failed to control fraud and mismanagement. This means that Uganda ranks in the top 20 most corrupt countries in Africa. Archbishop Mogalu was asked the government to combat rising commodity prices. He said many people are not able to access basic needs because of high costs. This situation only makes worse the dire situation of the majority poor in our communities. Uganda President Yuri Kaguta Museven said in his Easter message that he's well aware of the situation and promises government will look into the matter. I will first discuss with the caucus uh, in the coming few weeks. The caucus is the issue of the, of the high prices, high commodity prices. I know they are uh, disturbing our, our people, I, I, I know, but I will discuss with the caucus first, and then we shall come and uh, discuss with the, the rest of the country. President Museven also said his government is working on eradicating crime, in particular cattle wrestling that has engulfed the eastern part of the country. For VOA News, I am Gume, Davis Ruakarinjini Kampala, Uganda. Kenya has increased the price of gas for the first time, causing pain to motorists and other consumers. The government has cracked down on oil marketeers, accusing them of economic sabotage. Already the chief executive officer of one oil company was deported to France. This after the company was accused of exporting fuel meant for the local market. Maureen Ojambo reports. It is days of pain and long queues for motorists in Kenya following fuel shortage across the country. And just when they thought the government would save them from the crisis, gasoline prices have increased by 7.3% and a litre of super petrol is retailing at 1.25 US dollars. Kenya's Energy and Petroleum Cabinet Secretary Monica Juma 
has accused oil marketers in Kenya of oil hoarding. This situation can only be equated to deliberate efforts to sabotage this economy, which constitutes a capital crime in our statute books. Some players have additionally been diverting cargo earmarked for local use for export into the region to further enhance abnormal profits, really. And in this regard, I wish to indicate any entity that is not ready that is not able to work within the framework of the laws of Kenya is invited to vacate this market promptly. In accordance with the Kenyan Constitution, Kenya's Energy and Petroleum Regulatory Authority, or EPRA, has a mandate to calculate a maximum retail prices of petroleum products, which is normally enforced from 15th day of every month. Jean Christian is the Chief Executive Officer of Rubies, an oil marketing company, or OMC. Juma says last week he was deported after accusations of economic sabotage. The Energy and Petroleum Regulatory Authority has so far issued shock-cost letters to those OMCs that failed to meet the required minimum operational stock levels, thus resulting in stock outs at their respective retail stations. In a statement, Ruby's Energy Kenya hit back at the government saying that their boss was not deported but was in France to brief the head office over Kenya's fuel crisis. Ruby's also disputed state claims linking it to hoarding of fuel. Marketers have earlier faulted the Kenyan government over delays in credit payments, an allegation the government does not deny. Energy and Petroleum Permanent Secretary Andrew Kamau says even after the government agreed to pay, the marketers still refused to release fuel to the market. Clearly there was another motive to tread water, uh, looking as towards a price change from EPRAT. We've paid $34 billion. We currently owe them 14 which we have received from the National Treasury and we will pay. Kenya's fuel crisis has put pressure on the government to end rising domestic prices. Economist Ali Khan Sachu says the Kenyan government has run out of credit and that many private companies cannot afford to do business with the government without pay. And the government clearly does not have the cash, has been delaying the repayments of the subsidy. And there is no private company that can afford to conduct business in that manner. So what this is, it's pushing the blame to the oil marketers, which is unfair. The government is in a serious financial crisis, cannot afford to pay these subsidies anymore. An analysis by the Energy and Petroleum Regulatory Authority over the last four weeks showed that leading oil marketers reduced their fuel allocations for Kenya in favor of regional market, where it is assumed they would be earning more money. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo. And let's go to West Africa. Sierra Leone is famous for religious tolerance. The West African nation of almost 8 million people practice Islam or Christianity. Followers of both coexist peacefully and share things in common. But what does it mean to observe Ramadan and Lent in Sierra Leone? Eric Kawa finds out from Freetown. It's Ramadan and Lent in Sierra Leone. The sound of the azan is symbolic to Islam as it calls Muslims to prayer. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. On the other hand, the seven drums are mainly used here by Christians for praise and worship. We give you praise, awesome God. A 
According to a 2020 estimate by the Pew Research Center, 78.5% of Sierra Leone's population are Muslims, 20.4% Christians, and 1.1% follow a traditional African religion or other beliefs. Though many differences in worship, yet Sierra Leoneans have much common ground when it comes to religion. Reverend Dr. Usman Jessifona is the General Secretary of the Interreligious Council of Sierra Leone, a body established in 1997 to promote peace, national cohesion and religious dialogue in Sierra Leone. We have accepted each other, look less on the issues that divide us and concentrate on the issues that brings us together for the sake of promoting issues of national importance. The lesson that I think we could learn out of religious tolerance in this country is the issue of promoting coexistence, the acceptance of intermarriages, and also the issue of accepting each other irrespective of who you are. Sierra Leone's 1991 constitution provides for freedom of religion, creating a safe space for citizens to hold on to their different beliefs. Al-Haji Oshoba Ibrahim Abadin is a cleric at the Kabatula Mosque, one of the oldest in Sierra Leone. He says religion represents peace. Hence, any individual or group perpetrating violence in the name of religion contradicts the teachings of the holy books. When you attend any guard game, you will notice that they will call upon the Muslims to offer a prayer and the Christians to offer a prayer. Likewise, in marriage, we do that. So that shows the tolerance of Muslim and Christian to Sierra Leone. We are working parallelly in any activities, intermarriage, businesses. You can see the Muslim and Christian there at all times without no confrontation, neither no argument. We go there, we enjoy ourselves peacefully. Intermarriages make the Ramadan and Lent seasons more engaging with support for one another especially this year when the holy seasons overlap. The 40 days of Lent ends with Easter, whilst Ramadan ends with Eid al-Fitri. Sabtiu Shilon lives with her Muslim and Christian family. Let me say the support in balance. Now Muslim keep fast, Christian keep fast. So then all the Shia, they eat them together. Because I get Christian myself, you keep fast, I mean, us. So they all come to the eat, eat together. Them for each other, for go mocks, and go mocks, for go church, and go church. We pray can the Christian give the Muslim and go pray. We Christmas if Muslim give flat the Christian and go church. Sierra Leoneans are largely divided along political lines, but when it comes to religion, they work together in building on the record of being one of the world's most religious tolerant nations in the world. Eric Kawa reporting for VOA in Freetown, Sierra Leone. In Malawi, President Razaras Chakwera says that his administration will not shield any public official involved in corruption. He says that he is committed to the fight against graft, adding that corruption deprives citizens of progress and improved living conditions. His remarks come after the Archbishop of Blantyre Archdiocese, Thomas Luke Mususa, expressed concern that the situation is getting worse. He's calling on the government to step up the fight against fraud and mismanagement. This after the latest Afrobarometer research report showed corruption in Malawi has increased. Respondents to the research say that it has gotten worse in public institutions, including the police and the Malawi Revenue Authority. Vincent Conway is a leading member of the Political Science Association of Malawi in the capital Lilongwe. 
And for the latest developments, BOS Peter Clotty asked him for his view on the problem. Since he took over office, the president has now and again been saying the same words. Yes, here and there, we have seen some two cabinet ministers being relieved of their jobs. But uh, as every Malawian knows, there's about 17 billion Malawi kwasha which got lost during um, the fight against COVID when, uh, when the pandemic was at peak. There has been no movement at all on the ground. And the, the president had committed that he would fire everyone who was involved in that syndicate. Nothing has been done. So it's like uh, what the president says is something else. And the reality of on the ground is completely different from the rhetoric from the president. So I take this one as mere rhetoric as well, given the experience that we have seen. But supporters of the Tonsi Alliance says the president has demonstrated the political will to fight against corruption because there were allegations of corruption against two former cabinet ministers. He reshuffled the cabinets and dropped them. It is indeed true that some two cabinet ministers were relieved of their jobs after some exposure of some corrupt deals involving these two cabinet ministers. But uh, let's put it on record here that when uh, the president was leaving Msuka of his job, it was after there was a mounting public anger that the president was taking too long to act on this particular cabinet minister. On top of that, this cabinet minister dragged the anti-corruption bureau director to court to protest his arrest, and ever since he has been released or given bail, and there has been no movement on his uh, prosecution. Does the recent Afrobarometer research that shows corruption has increased in the last few years, damaging to the fight against corruption in Malawi? The reality on the ground is that corruption is too rampant and there's no systematic reaction from the government. So for me, whatever the results are coming out, and when you look at the, the poor service delivery, we have the, in all, almost all public entities, you look at the means of education, you look at the health, you look at the road infrastructure. These, all these government departments cannot be fully funded because of the hemorrhaging of public resources through fraud and corruption. And when you look at the results coming from the Afrobarometer, all these are indications that corruption is going on and controlled even from the highest levels of the government. There have been reported cases of an advisor to the president being involved in corruption, yet up to now, we have seen this person now and again working very closely with the head of state himself. So all the indications on the ground are suggesting that corruption is on the rise. It is even worse than maybe when the Tonsi Alliance came to power. That was Vincent Kondwe, a member of the Political Science Association of Malawi. We're speaking to viewers, Peter Cloty. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Just search for VOA Africa. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Join me, Heidi Adams, on the next Straight Talk Africa.
Does a political candidate's age really matter? What helps and hurts younger candidates who contest in elections across the African continent? Not Too Young to Run is the focus of our discussion on the next Straight Talk Africa. This Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Hello, I'm Douglas Simpoga, host of VOA's Reporters Roundtable. Join us every Thursday as we discuss important African topics and events. I'll have a panel of African journalists and expert guests to discuss the topic at hand. We take a deeper look at important African news topics. That's Reporters Roundtable every Thursday at 17.30 UTC, right here on VOA Africa. 